We've been in this series for the last four weeks, and I'm going to wrap it up today, called the Hall of Faith. Say that with me. Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And it's anchored out of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, where the author of Hebrews goes on to list all of these people who are the definition of incredible faith. Incredible faith, they trusted God to do some incredible things in their life and with their families and with their futures. In fact, the, the Hebrews chapter 11, it opens with this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. In fact, they weren't commended because they did something great. They were commended because they trusted God to do something. And the theme for kind of this whole, whole four weeks has been this. And that fame recognizes what you have done, but faith recognizes what God can do. How many of you believe that God can do some incredible things? You're in a church that's full full of faith, just full of people who've, who've seen God do some incredible things. Uh, and, and from here, the author, he goes on and on to list dozens of people. But I want to focus in on who he talks about in verse 22. And that man is Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in all of scripture. In fact, uh, his whole life is like this roller coaster of up and downs, but all throughout the whole time, he just commits himself to God through it all. And if, if you had to narrow it down, I think you could narrow down Joseph and his reason for being in the hall of faith to this right here. Joseph is proof that faith and favor go hand in hand with trials. That it goes hand in hand with trials. Notice, I didn't say faith and favor go hand in hand with the easy road or that faith and favor go hand in hand with a discount or with some predictable pattern of success. No, faith and favor go hand in hand with a fight. And if you know one thing, if you have great faith, that means you fought a battle or two where God has to step in. If you want God's favor, you've got to fight for it. If you want, if you want the blessings of God, you've got, to, you've got to strive after that. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost your time, your sacrifice. If you want great faith, you're going to have to fight some things. If you want great favor, you're going to have to endure some unfavorable times. And I don't know about you, but just like this, this thought of having to go through trial after trial, like that, that creates a lot of anxiety in me. Like, in fact, it's almost as if I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> There's been times in my life, and I've been honest with you, where I've quit on God, but God has never quit on me. Amen. And there's been times uh, in my life where I felt like God's favorite word was not love. It was not grace. It was not peace. But that God's favorite word was through. Because every time I asked him to get out of it, he just said, you've got to keep going through it. One thing after another. In fact, in order to get to the place that God wants you to be, you're going to have to go through a battle or two. And we want to discount those problems and those issues. We want to walk away from those seasons where, where things weren't going right and life was just this cluster and everything's fun. We want to skip those things. But you have to understand that that's a part of this journey. That's a part of this process. And because God, he wants to develop something in you before he ever does something through you. And many of us, we want, we want to be used by God. We want to be on the forefront of things. We want, we want God's blessing, his favor. We want a microphone. But you have to understand, you're going to have to go through some things if you want to get to that point. You're going to have to fight some battles. You're going to have to persevere. And Joseph, this whole time, is like enduring. Not only does he start well, but he finishes well. And in fact, I think that's a big part of our problem, right? We don't really finish 
well. Think about that diet that you started January 1. Oh, come on. That diet, you know, it starts out like this, like when, when we commit to a diet, here's what we do. We go and get a gym membership. We go to, we go to an academy. We're getting like shoes, tennis shoes, like whole thing, like sweatbands. You even go to GNC, you get like a vitamin supplement pack and one of those like shaker bottles for protein. Like you are in it to win it. And week one, nothing can stand in your way and you're grinding it out. Week two, it's like, ah, uh, you know, it's Sunday. Let's go to Steak and Shake. You know, like you squeeze a little Steak and Shake there. And then by week four, it's like you're done. You're putting chicken in a blender. You've gotten that far. You're just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. Like we start fast and we start really strong. But man, do we have a hard time ending well. But Joseph is the definition of endurance. Joseph knew how to finish right. And to finish upon the path that God has for him. In fact, let's look at Joseph's life for just a moment. The very first thing, it begins in chapter 37. It goes all the way to chapter 50 uh, of Genesis. Uh, One of the things that I love is, is like, it's really open and honest. Right at the beginning of Genesis 37, it tells you the biggest problem Joseph has. And that is that his dad favored him. Anybody, Anybody got siblings in here? Anybody? Raise your hand if you do. Raise your hand if you know you're the favorite child. Come on, it's okay. My name literally means favored one, son of my right hand. So like, I know, like, I'm good. Like, the rest of them can say what they want to, but you know, my name means what it means. But let's pick up in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 37. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons, because he was a son in his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. Verse 4, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, now, there's a big problem right here. Not only does the dad, like, show favoritism to him and kind of, you know, treat him a little different, but he, he makes this expensive multicolored jacket. I mean, if you want to stand out, put you on some, like, I always think it's like rainbow, you know, like rainbow jacket, like Boom, walk around. Like that's, that's what his dad did to him. And, and, and Joseph's jacket was like the symbol of favor. It was the symbol of promise. It was the symbol of special and anointing. And his brothers were so envious of that favor. They were so envious of that symbol. In fact, his brothers, they just wanted that coat. I imagine they just wanted to rip that coat up or even put that coat on themselves. Like somehow they wanted the favor that Joseph got. But hear me, favor is not what's on you. Favor is what's in you. Then it doesn't matter what kind of jacket you got on. It doesn't matter what kind of shoes you got on. Favor, it's never about what's on you. It's about what's in you. And inside of Joseph lived integrity. And inside of a Joseph lived faith. And inside of Joseph lived this trust. And we live in this world that celebrates talent above integrity. And it frustrates me because people think if I can, if I can get to a church like that or preach like that, or if I can tweet like that or take pictures like them, if I could get that job, then I could have the money to do those things. But favor, it comes from God. It doesn't come from your special gifting. It doesn't come from your good looks. And you hear me, you've got to want the blesser more than the blessing. If you want healing, you've got to want the healer more than the healing, that even if he never heals you, you still love him and he's still worthy. The promise, I've learned this much, that I can receive any promise from God that I want, but there's nothing like the promiser. The promise is great, but give me Jesus. The promise is great, but give me that relationship. Let me just, let me just spend a little time in his presence and a little time in his word. 
The favor of God is birthed by the faith in your heart. It has to live there. Your faith, it has to live there. It has to be a part of who you are and what you do. In fact, in Hebrews, in the same chapter, in verse 6, and it says, without what? Faith. It is impossible to please him. For he comes to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him who seek his face, who, who, who strive to know him more, who strive to be in the presence of God more and more. But the biggest mess that Joseph has is not this jacket. It's not the favoritism of his father. One of the biggest messes he gets, them in, gets into is that he shares with them this dream that God put in his mind and in his heart. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the time, my dreams involve food. They just do. Come on. (laughs) I'm not really sure why God does not speak to me through dreams. In fact, the only thing that speaks to me in my dreams is like heartburn, it feels like. But food, man, I don't know what it is. It's like food. In fact, Germantown, if you ever make a trip to Germantown, you need to go just for the food. I feel like every time I go up there, David is just like taking me place after place after place. Like I've eaten about every nationality of food by the time that I leave in three days. And it's so good. But God doesn't speak to me through dreams, but God most certainly does speak through dreams. God most certainly does speak into our minds and into our hearts and into these things. The problem was not that God spoke to him in a dream. The problem was what the dream was about. In fact, the whole dream, both dreams that he has, are about Joseph's family, his brothers, and even his father bowing down at his feet through different symbols in the dreams. They're literally bowing at his feet. And he doesn't just tell them this once. He tells it to them twice. He has two dreams, and he's like, hey, all of y'all are going to bow down at my feet. Now, to my favorite children in the room. You know and I know that if you walked into your family's gathering for Christmas or Thanksgiving was like, why aren't you bowing at my feet? Like, there's going to be a little bit of tension. There's going to be a little bit of a problem. Somebody's going to mumble something about you, say something about you. And in fact, he tells it to him twice. And in my house, we call that like cruising for a bruising. Like, you're going to get beat up. If you tell your older siblings you're going to bow at my feet, guess what? They're going to jump you in your sleep. Like, that's what's going to happen. And... Uh, But man, man, he tells him this and it causes just this level of animosity that is just terrible. They hated him. They couldn't even stand friendly conversation with him. So upset at him for who he was. In fact, goes on, his brothers end up having to work in the field. But Joseph gets to stay in the house and his father sends him on this trip. He says, hey, I want you to bring these supplies to your brothers. They're out in the field. So he wanders for a few days And as he sees his brothers from afar off, here's where we're going to pick up in Genesis 37, verse 18. And when they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. And we will say, a wild beast has devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, of his favor, of his blessing, of his anointing, the very colored tunic that was on him, 
And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Now, I know that you probably got some family drama, but I highly doubt your siblings have come together and conspired to murder you. Like this is this is the like Jerry Springer, like Mari on another level. Like this is this is like unsolved mysteries kind of stuff. And they they conspire to kill him. They see him coming and they don't. It's like they don't even blink. They see him coming from afar off and like this is our moment to kill this man. And they plotted to kill him. And later they would take him and throw him into slavery. And in fact, this just begins this journey for Joseph, this really incredible journey just kind of kicks it off right here. And so I want to go through that journey today. I think there's three moments that Joseph really had to have faith. And the first one was here, the pit. The pit. Can you imagine for just a moment what it was like to walk for days and days, find your brothers, expect a warm welcome only to be stripped of your jacket. That's your symbol of favor, stripped and then thrown down into a bottom of an empty well and left for dead. Can you imagine what that was like? Like the only thing that comes to my mind was when I was five years old, my, my siblings put me in the dumpster. Like that was it. Like right in the bottom of that thing. It felt like an hour. It was probably like three minutes, but that's as close as I can relate. And that's not even close to what's happening right here. He's, he's stripped, he's thrown into a pit, and then he overhears his brothers talking about what they're going to do with him next. There's no doubt in my mind that this was like a super emotional moment for him. There's no doubt in my mind that in his mind, he's like, God, God, you told me about this dream. You told me to share this dream. I share it. And now look what happens. Like, what are you kind of doing? Like, these are the things that have to be running through his mind. In fact, they leave him in there, but then they pull him out. I, you got to imagine he's probably thinking, okay, the joke's over. They're pulling me out. No, they pull him out, put him in chains and sell him in slavery. What do you do when the people who hurt you the most are the ones who should, you should trust the least, the most? What do you do when people who hurt you the most are the ones who should hurt you the least? What do you do when it's family? What do you do when it's your best friend? What do you do when it's somebody that you trust and somebody you've put confidence in and somebody you've put your heart into and then it's those people that let you down, it's those people that stab you in the back. Like, What do you do in that moment? And here, this is why I tell people all the time, if there's one thing you need to work on as a believer, it's your relationship with Jesus Christ and your knowledge of the word. You've got to know it. You've got to be a part of it because hear me out. You cannot rely on your mama, your grandmama, your daddy, your cousins, your brothers or sisters relationship with Jesus. You can't rely on that to get you through hard times. You have to know what the word says about the hard times. You have to know what the word says about what you're facing because there's going to come a time when you're in the pit. And you're all alone. And the only thing that you have left is your prayer. And the only thing you have left is your praise. You've got to pray your way out of it. You've got to praise your way out of it. Because here's what I know about the pit. You can't complain your way out. You can't bargain your way out. You can't buy your way out. And you can't call in a favor to get you out. The only thing you can do in that moment is trust God, pray and ask him to intercede, and praise him for what he's already going to do. The pit, man, what an emotional moment. He's so torn. But you know what you read, and you're going to notice if you read these five, six chapters, is that all these different times that Joseph is in this situation, like the pit, 
or later on when we're going to get into different things, he never complains. He never looks at God and says, what are you doing? He never looks at God and says, this was a mistake. I know this isn't a part of your plan because if people are going to bow down to me, I'm certainly not going to bow down to me in this pit. They're only going to bow down to me when I'm at a high point. But he never says any of that. Instead, he just continues to have faith and continues to trust God. Here's one of three things that I believe you can learn from Joseph, and that's this one right here. Faith allows you to survive the hard place. It's faith that brings him out. It's faith that's going to get you out. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe, maybe you're in a season where you have every reason to be mad and everyone's abandoning you and you really do feel alone. Can I tell you what? You're not alone. In that well was the Lord with him. In his pit was the Lord. And in your pit and in your moment is the Lord. And he's right there with you. He's never left you. He's never going to forsake you. But you have to trust him. This story is just wild. So like they get him out of the pit, right? And they sell him into slavery. Sell him into slavery. Joseph, he's sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites. They bring him to Egypt. They put him on an auction block. And there one of Pharaoh's officials, his captain of his guard named Potiphar, buys Joseph right then and there. And he puts him in his house. But one thing that he notices is like, Joseph has like this stupid favor in everything that he does. He's just really, really good at it. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 39, verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his whole house and all that he owned, and he put him in his charge. It came about from the time he made him overseer of his house and over all that he owned that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on the count of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Joseph has so much favor on his life, he's sold into slavery and finds favor. He's sold into a house of a guy who has to be a hard-nosed dude. I mean, he's literally the captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh, the ruler of all the land. He's got to have money. He's got to have a big house. But Joseph has got so much favor on him, he can't even be a slave without receiving promotion and without power. But how many of you know that the moment that the children of God begin to receive favor, the enemy tries to step in and squash it, right? He's got to come in with a bad report or a relative that's mad at you because you got a bonus check and they didn't. They got fired. Like, like he's going to bring somebody in there to try and foul up the very favor that God's putting on your life. And so the Bible goes on to tell us that Potiphar um, has one issue in his house. It's his wife. In fact, she's a little bit of a desperate housewife. And she's really fond. In fact, she's super fond of Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph was a handsome, strapping man. And so she tries to come on to Joseph repeatedly to get him to sleep with her. And and Joseph just is like, no, no, this is not God. It's not God's plan. 
And one day she gets so desperate, she tries to pin him down like that's desperate. And he wiggles away and he runs out of the room. The Bible says he ran away, but she grabs his coat and she frames him for rape. And Potiphar throws him in prison, into prison. This next scene of his life, this prison, this moment is wild to me because Joseph did nothing wrong. In fact, Joseph did the only right thing by fleeing and running away, but yet the right thing landed him in the wrong place. What do you do when, when you do exactly what it is God's asking you to do, but yet everything seems to fall apart? Do you quit? Do you press on? What do you do? Do you, do you sit there and wonder about it? Do you spend time spinning your wheels? What is it? But Joseph, Joseph knew that he could have all the gifting in the world. He could be the best finance manager. He could be the best leader of this house. He could do all those things right. But if he did not have integrity, then he had nothing. And you can have all the promotion you want, but character is always the key. Character to be a person, choosing to be a person of character is never an easy thing to do. It's never like it is sometimes, but then there's going to come a time where no one else has character and you're the only person that's going to have it. Choosing God's plan for your life. It doesn't always mean choosing the easiest path or the easiest road. In fact, uh, I grew up in the construction world and there's a saying in the construction world and it's this, it's measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut once. Like I've worked with some people that they just kind of eyeball it and they'll cut three or four times. Here's what happens like when you don't measure right. When you don't do it right or follow the steps right, you get to the end of the job and you're building the house and the window doesn't fit because nothing is square and nothing is right because all through that time you took shortcuts to try and get to a finished product. Hear me out. Just because things are not going well doesn't mean they aren't going the right way. Just because your life is hell right now doesn't mean that you're living in sin. I just spent a week in the hospital after preaching both services a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to tell you what, I, I'm, I'm good. Like my, my, my spiritual life is good. I was, I was, in fact, I was probably more connected to the Lord before that week than I was at all. But yet those things still happen to me. These things still happen in our lives. But just because things are not going well doesn't mean you're not pursuing the right way. Just look at Joseph. Can you imagine what it was like? What was running through his mind when he's standing on an auction block and another human being purchases him? Yet he doesn't say, God, what are you doing? Can you imagine what's going through his mind when he makes the right choice and he's thrown into prison? He doesn't say, God, what are you doing? How is this supposed to fit in your plan? Do you, are you even paying attention up there? There will be times when you cannot go on what you see. You have to press on with faith for what you know God has already done. Anybody in here know about that? There's been times where all you had was your past. There was times all you had was what God did back then, and that's how you know what he's going to do now. God did not anoint you and I to just be in the good times. He anointed you and I so that we could challenge dark places, so that we could reach into places like a prison and like a pit when other people around us are, are, are starving and hurting and dying. Maybe he brought you to prison so that you could reach those in prison. Maybe you're in financial times because when he rescues it out, you're gonna be able to give a strategy to those who don't. God anointed you. Not so that you can travel the easy road through life, but that you, you could travel the right road in life. 
And we want to talk about jail. We want to talk about the pits in our life and the prisons in our life. But it was the darkness of that jail, in that darkness of that jail, that Joseph encounters a man that would one day be the key to his freedom. And because he chose to treat people right at the bottom, come on, because he chose to treat people right down there in the pit and down there in prison because he chose in that moment to have integrity. God would one day release him from jail through this contact with this cupbearer. And God, he eventually gets Joseph in the palace in front of Pharaoh, but he doesn't do it through his giftings and through his anointing and through his good looks like the Bible says it has. No, he did it through the prison and he did it through the pit. He didn't do it through some discount or some backroom dealing. He did it, and he did it because Joseph continued to trust God no matter what. What are you dealing with today that you haven't really given to him? Like really, really trusted in him? Because here's what we, we kind of do. When we first get into a situation, we'll pray a prayer like, Lord, fix it. You know, I hope that you fix it. But it's not, I'm going to tell you, what, when I first got to the hospital on Sunday, I was like, Lord, fix it. I'm ready to go home. But by, by day five, when it wasn't right, that's when you begin to really pray, right? That's when you're like, hold up, I'm about to, I'm about to, the prayer team gave me a, a prayer like on laminate. I just read that thing, man. I was just, I was going at it. Like you, we get so desperate, but if we'd come to the battle the right way the first time, with the level of faith that we need the first time. Second lesson that I learned from, from Joseph right here is this. Faith allows you to press on with confidence. With confidence. It was Joseph's confidence in prison. You see, here's the thing. He, this cupbearer says, when I get out, I'm going to remember you. And I'm going to try my best to get you out because you don't belong here. It was years before that would happen. If somebody promised you something and it was years before it happened, like you would have forgotten about it by then. But that connection that he makes in the prison goes on to be the key to opening the door to put him in front of Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh, he had a problem too. He kept having this nightmare and this dream over and over again, but could not find anyone in all of the land. In fact, he calls and he summons all of the priests and, and all, of the, all of the seers and, and, and sorcerers to try and figure out what his dream is. No one can figure it out, but yet the cupbearer says, hey, there was a guy in prison, and when he didn't have to, he helped me out, and he interpreted my dream. I think you should give him a shot. And so, so Pharaoh says, hey, why not? You know, no one else can do it. So they clean Joseph up, shave him down, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, all right, tell me the dream that I have. And without even hearing the dream, Joseph says every little thing that Pharaoh saw, that there was going to be seven years of prosperity, but then there was going to be seven years of famine, extreme famine. And that he needed to store that up. And, and, he, and he interprets this whole dream for him. And Pharaoh is so impressed. Look at what he does here in Genesis 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there was no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and clothed them in the garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. Joseph knew how to handle his small beginnings really well. And it was that integrity 
It was that faith that God was just stacking like logs up and up and up. It was that faith that God was building him in, in, in these moments when everyone wanted to quit. It was that faith that in that moment he cashes in on. Joseph, he, had he not been faithful in prison, I don't believe he ever would have gotten in front of Pharaoh. And I really feel like this. The, like, the ideal place to be is the palace, right? Like we we want to get to this chapter where Joseph receives this incredible promotion. But there's going to come a time, and I believe this, there's going to come a time where God is going to move you from the background into the forefront. That all of your hard work behind the scenes, all of the things that you did when no one was looking, and it's all going to be because of those things that God's going to promote you. It's not going to be because who your daddy is or how long they've been going to this church or how long they've been the mayor of this town or whatever. It's not going to be a trust fund. It's going to be your trust in God that gets you to the next level. When no one, you got to be that person. When no one is watching, you're going to keep praising When no one is watching, you're going to keep praying. When no one else wants to stay, you're going to be willing to trust God and stand firm in that moment. When no one else wants to grab a vacuum, you're going to grab a vacuum. When no one else wants to work in kids or wants to work in this or wants to work in that, you're going to be the person who steps up. And when you're promoted to that place of favor, haters are going to say that you were born with it. But you weren't born with it. You were born through it. You were born through the prison. You were born through the pit. You were born through the hard times. You were born through the dark times. You were born in the silent times and you were born in moments when no one was looking. That's where you were born with it. That's how you made it to where you are. And so many of us want to be that person up front, but we don't understand the sacrifices that have been made to be there. When God chooses to promote you, it's always above and beyond all that you could ask, think, or imagine. And I don't, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but some of you, you're in here and you've just been praying to get out of prison. Like, I just want to get out of this prison, this hell that I'm in. But God's not trying to just get you out of the prison. God's trying to get you to the palace. God's trying to take it one more notch. If I know one thing about the creator is like, what we think is good, he's moving it up one more level. It's just this promotion, this promotion of Joseph it's nothing short of miraculous. It's this divine miracle, really, but it wasn't even the best part. It's not even the best part of this whole thing. It doesn't even show the integrity that he has until this next moment. And I'm going to close with this. You see, Joseph was given that power, and he was placed in charge of gathering food and stocks for the seven years, and then the famine hits. The famine doesn't just hit Egypt, it hits the world. And everyone comes from all over, and guess who they've got to come to to get something to eat? They have to come and bow at Joseph's feet, and they've got to get food. Well, guess what? All those rotten, nasty family members of his that tried to kill him back in the day, they're all hungry. And guess who's got the keys to that kingdom? And so they march down to Egypt, and they walk up into the room where Joseph is, And they don't even recognize the brother that they tried to kill. Joseph, he reveals himself in in chapter 48, 49. He reveals himself to them. And he does so in such a way that's such a beautiful picture of grace. Because I don't know about you, but if somebody tried to kill me, if the moment where I could just, and they'd be killed, it'd be like this right here, just... The Bible says that Joseph finally, after some trials and tests with them, breaks down. 
and he sends everyone out of the room but his family and he gets down and he just begins to weep and cry out aloud. And he reveals himself to his brothers. And I, can you imagine the shock on their face? Like, we thought you was dead. And now we're kneeling before you. <laughs> Funny how the dreams don't come true when they're first given. But the dream of God, when it unfolds, it's more beautiful than anything you could ever see. And so they kneel at the feet. What's funny is like, we crucified Christ with our sin. Much like Joseph was thrown into the pit by his brothers. Yet the moment when God could exact all revenge on us, Jesus Christ comes down off of his throne. And he kneels down at your feet. And he begins to make amend everything that you did wrong. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 50, verses 18 through 20. It says, then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Check this out. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God, he meant it for the good in order to bring about this present result to preserve the lives of many people. I can't imagine what that was like, baby. And in the moment when they feel like Joseph's going to drop the hammer, what he does is he says, hey, you might have tried to set me back and kill me, but what God was doing was setting you up to fulfill my dream and to save the lives of everyone in this world right now. And hear me out, you can have all the power in the world. You can have all the money. You can have the greatest trust fund and you could be the president. You could be whatever you want to be. But if you cannot forgive, you are powerless. You are powerless. There is no greater power than to look at the people that you have every reason to be mad at and every reason to hate and every reason to take their life because they tried to take yours and look at them and say, I forgive you. I forgive you, and not only have I forgiven you, but I have moved on. Faith, faith is the key. The third lesson is this, faith allows you to forgive. Faith allows you to forgive every, every instance of pain, every instance of rejection. It's faith, it's faith that's the substance of, of this, this life that we live in Christ. You cannot even accept Jesus Christ if you don't have faith in him. You know, we, we teach our children this song, and it says, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. Right? We, we, we teach that to them as children, and we teach them, hey, whatever you've got, whatever problem you've got, you need to put it in the hands of the Lord. Whatever issues you've got, put it in his hands. He'll take care of it. Don't worry. Even when you feel alone, he's got you in his hands. But somewhere along the way, it changes from he's got the whole world to I've got my whole world in my hands. Where did we get it wrong? It's the moments where we chose to take action and not take faith. It's the moments where we chose to quit and run away instead of leaning in to God's presence and his power. Because hear me, there's been plenty of times in my life where I have been in want and been in need and been needing something. Now, I've shared with you before, you know, I got to Lee. 
uh, and I just didn't have a whole lot. Lord provided for me supernaturally. In fact, I, I got to leave and I had really a handful of clothes, like two dress shirts. Thank God that jeans with holes in them were a fashion statement because like, I mean, I was wearing them out. Like I didn't buy them that way. I, I wore them out that way. In fact, I had three pairs of shoes. I had this pair of slip-on Justin work boots. I had a pair of black dress shoes and I had a pair of Sperry topsiders. The only problem is, is I had all three of those for like a year and a half already. And I remember going to church every week and basically wearing one of two outfits, the same shoes. And man, I just remembered like, God, like, why am I here? Like, why am I dealing with this? Like, why am I struggling to do the things that I'm here to serve you, but yet I, I can barely eat? And I remember, God, I remember just being in a moment where I wanted to go and kneel down and pray at the altar, but I couldn't even kneel down because the hole's in my shoes. And I had every reason to be mad at him. And I had every reason to look at him and say, why am I in want? Why am I in need? If you're this God who can, who can put me in a palace, why am I in this prison where people are poking fun at me? And I remember the Lord just say this. If you'll just kneel down right now, I'll give you the shoes of the gospel of peace. And everywhere you go, if you'll just get, and that's why I come down here and I worship. I do that at other people's churches, by the way. I go to the front row. Because God's done too much for me to me sit on the back row, okay? And be quiet. But there are moments in my life where I had to have faith. And I can't help but when I was writing this message, I was like, how, you know, what, what's, what's that ending thought? What's that one thing? And I just couldn't get away from this because I feel like this is the truth for somebody in the room. This is a question that you have yet to answer. And that's this. Do you have faith to trust God and finish strong, even when you have every reason to quit? Just because you have a reason doesn't mean it's a good reason. Doesn't mean it's the right choice. I feel today that somebody, you're on the edge of just, you're on the edge of just quitting. You've had enough, man. You have had enough. And the Lord's just trying to show you through this word that I know you've been in the prison for a while. And I know you feel like you've been forgotten. But there's a turnaround coming. Shit. There's a turnaround coming in the house. There's a turnaround coming in your marriage. There's a turnaround coming in your finances. There's a turnaround. I see it right. There's children about to come home. You've been praying for them for years. Lord, I speak that into existence today. God, begin to manifest that today. Lord, let phone calls happen.